Welcome to Head to Toe, stories from the history and future of healthcare. I've never seen anything like this from H1N1 to Ebola. I mean, I've, I've not experienced this. I know there's been a lot of bad stuff out there. You know, I've, I have felt scared and angry and hopeful and worried and, and eager to see the good that can come from this. Lift each other up because, uh, you know, we're doing great things and, and we need that support from each other. If we're going to be humanity's backbone, we got We have to, we just have to hold each other up. Educators across the globe that kind of came together on social media platforms and shared and collaborated and cheered each other on and cried when bad things happened together. And it was incredible. Hi there, listeners. I'm your podcast host, Marie McMillan. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm an ICU nurse, I'm a writer, and I've been sharing healthcare stories through head to toe for the last four years. Check out your podcast feed for lots of interviews with extraordinary stories, trending topics, and career profiles of healthcare professionals. This is the second of four episodes on the topic of COVID-19. Back in May 2020, I interviewed four professionals about their experiences on the front lines and their thoughts about the pandemic. Since it has been two months, things have changed by the time you hear this. Some things have improved, some things have worsened, depending on the time of day. Either way, wherever you are in the pandemic, healthcare professionals are finally being brought into the international media spotlight. So I'm glad to bring you this conversation with Kurt Schroeder, an inpatient acute rehab nurse in Denver, Colorado. Please enjoy. Kurt Schroeder, welcome to Head to Toe. Thanks very much for being here. Thanks so much, Marie. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to our discussion. Yeah. Why don't you uh, start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, and your interaction with COVID-19 so far? Yeah, absolutely. So I am, first of all, I work in downtown Denver, and I am a acute inpatient physical rehabilitation nurse. I've been in that specialty area since 1996, and and I absolutely love it. So uh, I work for a major hospital system, and in a major hospital, we're kind of a hospital within a hospital. We have a rehab floor, and I think you may have done some rehab yourself at one time, but I think you are. Now on the other end of the acuity spectrum in uh, ICU, is that right, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I did uh, do a a little bit of long-term care, but it was its own separate facility, sort of, you know, a multi-level sort of thing that's very common out there. You're from independent to assisted living to memory care, skilled, things like that. Um, I did that a little bit before my inpatient experience. Yeah. 10 years ago (laughs) plus. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I've been doing the uh, inpatient rehabilitation, which I love because we get to see patients come in. We get to know them for a little while, Mm -hmm. interact with their family. Uh, We have a multidisciplinary team, OTPT, speech therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, nursing and our physiatrists who are medical doctors and, um, so it's been a wonderful career for me. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, COVID for us in physical rehabilitation is different from the experience of ICU nurses such as yourself because you're working directly with the COVID patients. Uh, we in physical rehabilitation, you know, aren't working directly with COVID patients, but we're still very much feeling the effects of COVID, you know, in a variety of ways, which I'll touch on. Uh, one of the one of the really 
big ways is uh, no family. No family can come in and visit. So uh, as part of our rehabilitation, you know, again, we have a multidisciplinary team and we interact with the family members and, you know, the, the patients are transitioning home from usually an acute care stay than the acute care inpatient rehabilitation. Uh, so to not be able to have that interaction is is very challenging. So that's a, that's a big thing from a rehab perspective. You know, as far as protective equipment, we only wear masks and gowns. So so that's a lot different from ICU nurses. I don't know how you guys do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, wear, to wear what you wear for a 12-hour shift, I, I presume you work 12s. We work 12s in the Denver metro area. Uh, is an awful long time. Uh, you know, my wife's uh, an RN as well, and, and she's in the pre-admission clinic. So uh, I touch on that because it's affected, COVID's affected her and us in, in rehab in that there are no elective surgeries going on right now, right? Oh, absolutely. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we've just started to, you know, institute those again, and we're starting to see a little bit of patient flow. So consequently, what happened related to that is our census went down. And, you know, where my wife works, if it's pre-admission clinic, she's an RN, they didn't, you know, they weren't admitting people for elective surgeries. So, you know, it's affected RNs who are not ICU RNs because they've had a decrease in hours, which, you know, in nursing, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Uh, you know, you talk to anyone on the street and they're like, oh my goodness, nurses, you know, you're in huge demand, which which we are, but related to COVID, you know, it's more those nurses who are in ICU areas who who, who are working directly with the COVID patients, um, as opposed to a lot of the nurses who aren't. And there are a lot of us out there and it's affected our healthcare system in so many different ways. So you've seen where, where nurses are getting furloughed or they're out Hours are getting reduced. I know in our major healthcare uh, system, and I'm in a big one. You know, we've had a hiring freeze, so you yeah. also see you also see nurses now floating. You know, we uh, we float traditionally as nurses, anyways. But you know, the management's trying to uh, use utilize the resources and contain costs. Um, so you have a lot of nurses going to areas that they they maybe don't have great familiarity with, uh-huh. uh, but they're getting up to speed. You know, as quick as they can. So that's another way, you know, when we come in to the hospital and again, mine's a very large hospital, you know, we, we get issued a mask uh, and they check our temperature and uh, then we wear that mask for the entire shift, which, you know, prior to COVID, you know, going in and out of patient rooms, wearing the same masks, you know, we've heard about this in the media, you know, we, we've been told that that's not, you know, proper related to infection control. The CDC certainly wouldn't want that. And yet uh, that's what we're doing. In fact, one of the hospitals in our in our system, I, I won't speak to the exact hospitals, but, you know, they're they're wearing masks for three days, issued a mask and wearing it for three shifts. So that is, you know, very, very different. Is Are they doing anything like that where you are, Marie? Yeah, I think I've uh, most things you said are applied to where I work and a, a lot of major centers across the U.S. I think listeners will agree that, you know, getting temperature, everyone who comes into the, everyone who comes in the building, whether you are a contractor, you're a pharmacy tech, you're a patient coming in to pick up your meds from the pharmacy, whoever you are, you're getting your temperature checked at the door um, and verify that you're okay to enter the building. Employees are issued a mask. And like uh, you said, uh, we are using that mask for the entirety of our 12 hour shift. I wanted to add on that. Uh, COVID patients, yes, are being sequestered in their own 
sort of intensive care unit area. But, you know, once they graduate from an intensive care sort of setting, like, you know, they, you know, come off mechanical ventilation or whatever, they'll go to a, a regular medical surgical ward where they're still sequestered um, together, like COVID patients who are non-ICU and, you know, med- medical surgical nurses will care for those patients as well. They are, if you're, if you're in the ICU, you're put in what we call airborne, airborne isolation. So, you know, we have an N95 is recommended at that point or some sort of PAPR helmet that has like an airflow system. You know, anytime that you like the lungs are accessed, you know, for, you know, they got a breathing tube in, they're hooked up to a ventilator, things like that. We tend to be a little bit more stringent with the PPE. And then um, on the medical surgical floors, if they, they don't require any sort of high flow oxygen or a BiPAP or a CPAP or like a breathing mask of any kind, then they'll just wear the regular surgical mask. I'm not, I honestly, I can't, I don't remember if they, I don't think there anyone is discarding the masks in between patients. I think that that is different now as it would have been, let's say, flu season a few years ago. People would watch and be like, what? You're using the same mask for each room kind of thing. But, you know, supplies are what they are, like you said, across the country and in, in, in the media. It's been noted that, you know, we have to... Um, bend the rules where we can to to make it last. But I think the data that I have seen is that mask wearing greatly decreases infection rates across all spectrums versus areas where people are not wearing masks. So I think that it's a good thing. Is it ideal? Not necessarily to have one mask for the entire shift or three shifts, as you said, but yeah, do what I we got to do. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, three shifts is extreme. And, you know, you said two things there. One, you just said, we got to do what we got to do, which I agree. And we do that as nurses. We've done that historically. We do that forever. Yeah. And that's why, you know, uh, we're short. If we run short, you know, hey, work, just do the best job you can. And, and that's okay uh, as long as it doesn't become normalized. Sometimes it mm-hmm. does. And, uh, you know, you also said, you know, bend the rules. So we don't want to bend the rules, right? So we want to we want to protect ourselves we want to protect others and when you know i've been a nurse since 95 and when you have certain things ingrained in your mind like hey this is the right way to do it and then you have a change you understand the change because you know what's going on and you know in that situation and that, that there's a scarcity but then uh you know you're told like oh it's okay now don't worry about it that you know is difficult i think and challenging for nurses and uh, I don't think it makes nurses feel good and it's just a, it's a tough thing. I, I don't know if you've experienced any of that personally. I know my wife and I have, I know I've seen my colleagues like, Oh, well, it's okay now. Is that, is that really good practice? Yeah. I see what you're saying. I didn't mean to suggest at all that um, it would be okay for any employer to suggest that what is not recommended to do things that aren't recommended. And, you know, I, I guess I meant it more of the sense of like you said, nurses are have been historically flexible and we got to, you know, we will do what we need to do for our patients. We always have, and we always will. I think the suggest. I think I think you have a good point with the suggestions of you know what you know. Let's say this is the standard wearing one mask for a shift was like okay, and it was scientifically backed, and now we're asking people to wear it for three shifts, kind of thing. And that, you know that makes you know a cocker head to the side and go, mm, is that best practice, kind of thing. And yeah, I think nurses 100% should stand up for best practice, and especially those hot spots in the country where, like in New York City, with employers telling you know their nurses like, here's your N95 for the day when they have you know, you're in the, the COVID ICU for the entire day. Is that best practice? No. And there needs to be a point where you need to protect yourself as a worker, because if you're not safe, then your patients aren't safe. If you are not taken care of, then they're not going to have a workforce to take care of the patients.
patients who are ill. So I think you're right on on that and that you have to use best judgment and stand up for what is safe. And then it's hard, I think, with, with management and administration to find that balance of what are your stocks and I think of PPE. And I think it really comes down to transparent communication with your comp with your employees, you know, like this, it's, it's one thing to be like, mm, it's okay now to use, you know, this mask for a week versus these are the stocks that we have at this rate. This is how we need people to use them. We realize it's not ideal. We realize that it's not necessarily the best science because we're in a real time science situation where it's developing each day, right? This is a novel coronavirus. We don't know everything about. So I think it's about finding that balance. And unfortunately, I think where the issues across the country that has happened is that hospitals are not being transparent with their employees and that's not okay. Yeah, it's not okay. But I, you know, I, I've been a nurse manager and, and I, I understand it, but you know, nurses feel it, they internalize it. And I, I just don't think it's, it's a hundred percent healthy. And as nurses, you know, we have options. Nurses have options. And, you know, yes, we have this shortage uh, pre COVID and nurses oftentimes are leaving the bedside, right? Because they're going with career growth and development. They're going to NP school. They're going to CRNA school. They're going to become academicians and getting their PhDs and their DNPs and, and, and they're going into business. They're doing different things. So I think it's tough to retain those nurses. Uh, and when you do have uh, some inconsistencies with standards of care, standards of practice, you know, secondary to situations. And this is an extreme situation and I'm not landing or pointing fingers. I'm just simply saying that, you know, nurses internalize that and, you know, they're they may not feel really good about that. So uh, just a point, I know we were, we we're going to talk about some takeaways, but uh, mm. so, so that, that's, that's maybe one of the takeaways. Again, another takeaway is nurses do certainly have choices in our profession. And um, it's really nice to see society, uh, you know, up there, they're valuing, if you will, maybe, maybe it hasn't been up and maybe it's always been there, but uh, it's kind of nice as nurses to get recognition and pat on the back and saying, Hey, you know, you guys are on the front line you're doing a great job, mm-hmm. uh, all that kind of thing. So that's been super positive as far as nurses go. I know I feel good about it. You know, my mm-hmm. wife does, our colleagues do, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so that's that's a really great thing. Do you get that sense as well? I do. I, I would say I, I've only been, I've been a nurse 11 years. So, you know, I'm not like, the, it's not my first road trip around the block, but I've, you know, talked with people who have worked certainly longer, you know, long time career nurses. And I, I've, my question to them has been, has this sort of public appreciation ever been precedented before? And a lot, most of them say no, which I think is cool. I think it's cool that it's becoming sort of the mainstream media. There's all these images out there of, you know, nurses being heroes and, you know, the recognition is good. With it comes with its own sort of interesting psychology as well, being called a hero and being thanked for work like that when nurses are out there, like you said, getting furloughed or, you know, uh, getting regrouped from one area of their normal work to taking temperatures at the hospital door kind of thing. They don't feel like heroes sometimes, but I think that public recognition of them is good. But we all fight in the way that we're that we can fight this virus, right? Whether it be at the bedside in the intensive care unit or the medical surgical unit, you know, helping that patient recover who's been through a two-week ICU stay, done to the patients that come to you who need long-term rehab after a long hospitalization, to the hospital janitors who clean the floors, to the managers who pay everybody, you know, it's just, it trickles down. But I I think, yeah, it's it's been really cool. We were talking a lot about Nurses Week this year and how, um, you know, there's been lots of jokes about how it's been historically not the best dealt with 
I don't know, holiday as far as <laughs> administration goes, but we were talking right, about how right. the, the public has given us the nurses week that we always wanted kind of thing. Yeah. And then and for me, uh, personally, the gratitude from the public is, is almost better than, uh, you know, sometimes seems forced from admin, you know, uh, and I've been on the admin side, but so yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's been interesting. And, you know, it's also the, obviously the year of the nurse too, with the world health organization. So, yeah. uh, that's, you know, I don't know how to how to verbalize that. It's not funny. It's not ironic, but it's it, it's a coincidence maybe that we have been in the spotlight and Doc's been in the spotlight. But like you say, and I always like to mention it for phlebotomists, it's the people keeping the place clean. You know, it's a lot of different people, but um, we're certainly an identifiable uh, class of, of of healthcare workers, and, and and we're such a huge class of healthcare workers, you know, we're over 4 million uh, throughout the United States. And, uh, you know, so nursing is, is extremely important. And it's obviously, you know, being shown upon right now with COVID. But what we do day in and day out, uh, you know, pre-COVID and what we'll continue to do post-COVID is, uh, you know, very rewarding personally. And uh, nurses will always continue to do what they do best, and that's provide care, but also, you know, not just care, it's empathy, it's, 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 you know, family member caring, it's education. We do so much, you know, uh, your uh, assessments, obviously, the name of your podcast is Head to Toe, which I kind of like, that's, that's pretty oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I think COVID's just kind of shining a light on what we do, but we'll always do it. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. It's like taking credit for stuff we've been doing for two centuries, right? Like exactly. I said, you're the nurse. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> so, right. That's serendipity. Exactly I'll, right. I'll call it serendipitous. How about that? Let's get back to some of your takeaways, personal or professional or otherwise from the pandemic so far. And, and that's with the caveat that this is just like... This is just the beginning. This is going to be like a year long process and, you know, a new normal as society is what it is. What are, what are your takeaways so far, this far into it? Well, you know, I, I have positive and negative ones, right? But, but one of them, like I, I was saying, the hour reduction of the, the case of the furloughed or even, you know, someone's lost their employment. You, you know, we've always thought, or at least I've always thought, you know, nursing is bulletproof. You're, you're always going to be be in demand. You're always going to be employed. I don't know that always, always applies, you know? And so mm -hmm. I think that that was a big curveball for, for a lot of nurses throughout the country to know that, well, you know, our employment situation could be kind of just like, you know, the rest of the working population. So uh, mm -hmm. I think it's, so I think it's really good to be aware of that. And I also think it's really good to know what your options are. And, you know, I love, a, I love a platform like LinkedIn. You and I wouldn't be talking right now if it wasn't for LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're obviously branching out and, and doing podcasts and things like that. You know, in this time of COVID, we're, we're having staff meetings now online. And, uh, so, so to be able to utilize some of those things, and again, a, a platform like LinkedIn, to see what other nurses are doing throughout the country, and that can be applicable to COVID, to see what innovations are coming about or how people are dealing with certain situations. And and healthcare systems are, for instance, are here locally. Uh, they decided to create what they call a, a, a turn four team. I don't know if you guys are, are doing any of this, but they had a, a group of four nurses who would do nothing but go from COVID patient to COVID patient, you know, who are ventilated and 
returning them and, and mm-hmm. caring for them and th- that type of thing. Yeah. So that was like an innovation that came about that, you know, can be duplicated in other markets, right? So yeah. so you, you can see that in a sy- system approach, uh, and that's an example of it. But also individually, as nurses, I'm all about career devel- uh, development gro- and empowerment for nurses. To see what other nurses are doing throughout the country, uh, I think is a really powerful thing. And, and mediums like your podcast, or I just had another video interview the other day uh, with an RN, and, and that was really neat. But to learn about other nurses and what they're doing, I think is a is a really cool thing. Yeah. I, I agree. I'd l- I, I would love to echo that. I think there's I, I was joking with one of the other podcast guests about how Instagram has become sort of the National Unit Practice Council <laughs> as far right, as right, right. innovations go, um, at least in the sort of critical care world, like trying to save PPE, right? Go The amount of times you got to go in and out of a room. And this isn't to say for the non-clinical listeners out there, this isn't to say we don't want to go in and care for our patients. We just know that there's a, a critical shortage of things that are going to keep us safe and healthy going back to all the other things you and I talked about. So about how to keep the IV poles on the outside of the of the room, you know, and run the tube, the IV tubing through yep. the door and extension. Like somebody posted a, a picture on Instagram in the middle of their shift saying, hey, this is what my unit's doing. It's saving us a ton of stuff. You know, maybe maybe you guys can employ it. And it's just like spread like wildfire. And everybody was like looking at their phones and being like, hey, let's do this, you know, and it's it's I've seen lots of innovations like that. And I think especially among the younger generation of, of nurses, Instagram has been an, an interesting and, and helpful helpful and productive medium for, for that. And I'm not saying that Instagram is great for professional development necessarily, um, as far as a nursing profession goes, although I think there are a lot of organizations getting on board with it. I, I see the AACN, the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, they're developing a really great Instagram feed and links that are, you know, educational links to that in the time of COVID, respiratory management, things like that. There's lots of things out there. And like you said, I think it's all about being a desirable candidate for interviews and for jobs that are needed and to sort of diversify your, your skill set. I'm not saying you have to go jump into LinkedIn right now, but if you are a nurse that is furloughed out there, you're listening, you're just you're th- feeling like you're not valued in your workplace, it's it's worth a gander to go to go see what's out there. Yeah, well, I, I would say do jump into LinkedIn right now. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of LinkedIn. You know, you can see people's career growth, right? So you, you mm-hmm. more or less have your resume up there and, you know, people post things that they're doing professionally, I, I think the distinction that I make, and I, I, I happen not to be on Instagram, uh, I'm a little older too, so <laughs> something to do with it. uh, it's just I, a number, Kurt, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the distinction I, I make is, you know, LinkedIn is a professional networking site, you know, I, and I emphasize professional, right? So, um, you know, you can see people's career paths. And I think as human beings and as nurses, you know, we look towards uh, examples, right? So uh, what did this person do? Oh, oh uh, Marie started a podcast and, you know, she's interviewed some really interesting people with some really interesting perspectives. You should listen to some and you might learn some things, you know? And so I, I, I just, I think that that's, you know, as professionals, I think that we sh- should have a profile. And that, that's just my personal opinion. But again, back to just duplication of things or 
emulating things that are working for people, whether that be, again, in a, in a hospital environment or trajectory of, a, of career growth and development. I just think that that's powerful. I, I think also you can reach out to people. Again, uh, you and I wouldn't be talking had we not connected on LinkedIn. That's how we sure. connected. And we wouldn't have connected on LinkedIn had we not both been nurses. Sure. So we're in the same tribe. We have that commonality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think that that's uh, a pretty cool thing. Um, and uh, certainly with COVID, we're all learning from, you know, governors to hospital administrators to mm-hmm. uh, nurse managers to the floor nurse. You know, it's something that I think we're doing collectively. And, you know, the more that we can communicate with each other in different geographical locations, uh, I think, you know, you have a more informed uh, person on the other end or system on the other end or, you know, uh, however they can best, you know, create best practices as you go by example. So, and, and I, and I think uh, Marie, we can do that, you know, within the field of nursing, we can do that globally, right? So we can learn things from nurses in different parts of the world and vice versa. If we have a medium to connect with those folks, then, then I think that that's a good thing. And that's why I, I, I wanted to support your podcast and, and um, you know, have a discussion today because uh, I think it's all good. And everyone brings a different perspective. Everyone brings different experience. Um, Mm-hmm. And to hear those things is, I think, powerful and can only help, you know, the profession. For sure. I really appreciate your sentiments. And thanks for all those things about the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll send you a, uh, what is it, on LinkedIn, you can um, send the review for somebody else that you've worked with. I'll be sure to send you one. <laughs> and I okay. Can do one right. for you too. Okay, um, uh, before we go, I did want to touch on something that has been, um, I think, a topic within COVID and healthcare that hasn't really been talked about enough. And it's been sensitive enough that it's, I think it applies to so many things and a lot of the emotion that it comes with the quarantine and, and working and the way that we have to work now. And I just want the listeners to sort of get an inside look to what that looks like on an inpatient side and working with patients who cannot have visitors. And I know for me and the ICU crew I work with, it's been, it's been this duality of, oh my God, this is so nice. I don't have to field all these phone calls and talk to all these people to this other (laughs) spectrum of my dying person can't have their people. And this really, really sucks. And I have a lot of feelings about it. So I wonder if you can sort of delve a little bit deeper into it for you and and the patients you care for and how that's been for you. Yeah, absolutely. So, So the first thing I would say that, no, it's okay to have a lot of feelings about it. I mean, if you don't have a lot of feelings about it, and maybe that's You're not, not a nurse, okay. man. <laughs> yeah, that's not okay, right? Because that's not yeah. where your heart is. That isn't who you are as a person and, and a professional. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I'd like to believe that, you know, 99.99% of us are all nurses because of who we are. Right. And, um, you know, so Agreed. you're yeah. you're on the other end of the spectrum, right? So I, I would think it would be harder uh, in your uh, clinical area than mine because, as you say, uh, you know, you're with someone as they're dying. And, and, and that is, you know, it's it, it's it's tough, and you know, we do that, and I've done that before, and different, you know, I have only practiced in rehab, but I've done that before myself. But to not have that family member there, um, you know, I think nurses, broadly speaking, probably do an excellent job of that, but it's something you internalize, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, one death, two deaths, three deaths, it it wears on you, and you need a break from it. And it's okay to have those feelings of, hey, you know, I just feel like going to the bathroom and shedding a few tears. Or, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm the best 
person to do this, you know, watching a, a death at the bedside or, or, or being part of the death at the bedside, you know, that's, that I think is your, again, your clinical area has to be harder, I would think, psychologically on nurses than mine. That said, I don't know. Like, I think it's harder for the, I think it may be opposite in that, like, the patient who is not aware is just not aware. I think it's hard on the, I think it's harder on the family. So you, you have this iPad and you're like showing yeah. them, you know, you're yeah. having this, this two way conversation where it's, I think it's stressful on the family because they're not able to be there. I think maybe on your end, it's more you're caring for these awake with it patients who are struggling to get better and they have this long journey of rehab and, and trying to get better physically and then getting better physically hand, it goes hand in hand with your mental health. So I'm, I'm wondering how the patients that you work with who are very capable of feeling a loneliness over a long inpatient experience, like how, how that is for you guys and for your patients. Well, it's tough. It's tough for the patients. It's tough for us as clinicians uh, because we value, as clinicians, we value the, the family member interaction. And again, we're educators, right? So we're constantly educating the family uh, because the patient's making this transition to home right. where they're right. going to need to do self-care or their family members are going to have to help them with their care. So that's a huge component of it. And, and that's difficult. And we, we've done that, um, you know, through, you know, Zoom meetings, that type of thing. Uh, but it's not the same, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. you can instruct someone, you know, uh, from a distance is not the same as, you know, having hands on uh, and that type of thing. So, uh, so that's difficult on the clinical side from a family interactive perspective. It's also extremely difficult to see the patient and recognize that the patient misses their loved ones. And that's difficult because yes, they're a phone call away, but um, it's not the same again, having Mm -hmm. someone Mm -hmm. visiting at the bedtime. And, and, And so that's, that's tough as well. So, and then thirdly, the family member who's at home, you know, you see these images of family members, you know, looking through uh, the glass and sniffs and, you know, that's not, that doesn't happen where I am, but uh, that's heart wrenching, right? Because they don't know, um, they can't see eye to eye. Yes, they can have a phone conversation. So you have, it's kind of a tryout there, right? There's three different things and, and it's tough. And so uh, I think it's tough on nursing staff. I know it's tough on the patients. I know it's tough on family members. Uh, so tough all the way around and you adapt and you do the best you can. I think, um, you know, just like conservation of PPE, everyone kind of understands uh, that there's this, uh, you know, unprecedented situation where, you know, all the, the landscapes change, everything's changed. Um, but it, I think it is difficult, but you do the best you can. And, and again, as nurses, we do, we, you know, you do the best you can at, always at all turns. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think we're effective doing that, but it's, it's not the same. Right. Agreed. And I think that's, we're learning that as a world, like the virtual ha- world has its benefits. Like you said, knowledge is power. If you got a Wi-Fi connection, you got access to all these idea sharings across the globe of how can we beat this tiny microscopic enemy of everyone. And then at the other end of how impersonal it is and how we're as humans, like human connection is an essential service. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Any yeah, and, and- last... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, well, go ahead. Yeah, and, and also again, I I think I kind of started by saying, hey, it's okay to have those feelings, and, and and you know what else? It's okay for nurses to have feelings about um, isolation at home as well. Uh, so you know, you work a twelve-hour shift, and you know you're dead tired, you go home, uh, and then you don't go out. You know, you, you lock down in place, and then you have uh, all the issues. Like my wife and I, we have an eighteen-year-old, so we don't have little babies. Uh, thank goodness. But 
But, um, you know, I can't imagine those nurses coming home. You know, I, my, my wife says to me, you're taking your scrubs off in the garage or you enter the threshold of our home. <laughs> and so that all wears on your brain as clinicians as well. And so there's a lot of things and, and it's okay to feel a little down about that. It's okay to say I'm struggling if that's the case for somebody. Uh, and I think as nurses, we need to recognize that. We need to be accepting of that and we need to support our colleagues at all turns uh, and, and, and to know that people may be feeling not so great because of, of everything that's going on and, and just to boost and lift each other up and, and, and pat each other on the back. And, um, you know, you know how it is. a caregiver, you just look at another caregiver's eyes. It's the same with the patient. I, I connect with patients in the eyes, you know, and they know, you know, and, 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 and culture uh, on the floor for nurses at the nursing station, et cetera, it, each unit is different and so important. So I, I would say to all my colleagues out there that, you know, lift each other up. Because, uh, you know, we're doing great things and, and we need that support from each other. Yeah. As somebody with a tiny person at home, it has made the to and from the hospital be a little bit complicated. But I agree. I've heard so many nurses say that we have to lift each other up. We can't tear each other down. We can't, you know, oh. healthcare as a, as a profession in, in general that involves so many different disciplines. You know, if we're going to be humanity's backbone, we got it. We have to we just have to hold each other up because it's 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 a weight and it's it's a big load. But I think it's 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 in our blood, man. It's just how we are. Yeah. What yeah. who nurses are, and like you said, historically we've always done it. We've done it for two hundred years, and you know we're just gonna we're gonna keep doing it. So yeah, you're the nurse. I like it. I like it. I like Absolutely. it. Well, thank you so much, Kurt Schroeder, for your thoughts today. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely, Marie. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I wish you and your family all the best and uh, same to your colleagues. Uh, so keep up the great work. Yeah, you too. Stay safe out there. This is just one piece of the pandemic pie. This is just one person's ankle on coronavirus. I hope you benefited from their story as I have, and I hope you think about your own place in this uncertain and changing healthcare landscape and what your takeaways are so far. As always, you can get in touch with me at macmillanpages at gmail.com. Find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and all of my creative work at mariemacmillan.com. Thank you to my four amazing podcast show guests. Be sure to check out the other coronavirus episodes in your podcast feed, COVID takeaways parts one, two, three, and four, and check the show notes for links to all the things we talked about. Thank you to Shannon Smith for help with editing, and thank you listeners for your support. That's all for now. Until next time, take care.